0: Good morning church. So good to see you. So good to worship with you this morning. The uh, worship team knocked it out of the ballpark and I felt a little bit bad. Yes, that's, that's appropriate. I felt a little bit bad because I was able to worship through song with you guys knowing where the message is going today already. So perhaps maybe we should do our worship sets after God's word is preached just so we can have that that richness in what we are going to be talking about. Would it be okay if a Baptist preacher jumped up and down occasionally? I I don't don't know. (laughs) I was was feeling it over there. I I came through kind of groggy, and then I kind of woke up when I started listening to the words of the song and thinking about who Christ is and where the Word's going today. So you can call me Bapticostal then. That'll be be, be fine. I won't, won't run up and down the aisles and everything. You might, might be turned off by that, but inside I was. Uh, yeah, so we get to worship today the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and uh, excited about that, where that's going to go for us. But I, I want to pause for just a moment and acknowledge the fact that uh, down in Florida and some other places, there are some congregations who are unable to worship within their facilities today. Um, I think they're probably still worshiping, um, but there's devastation because of the hurricane. And uh, at the end of the service, Pastor Adam's going to Uh, come up and talk a little bit about how you may be able to get involved with that in a more tangible way. Uh, But right now I want to take time to just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are ministering on the ground already uh, there and, and working with those who have seen devastation this week. So let's take just a moment as a church body to pray for those who are suffering because of the hurricane. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an opportunity just to be here together. And for us to be able to have a corporate moment as believers in you to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ that that are trying to figure out the next thing to do, trying to pick up and clean up and, and to move forward. I pray that in the middle of that disaster, you would let them sense your presence, sense your victory, sense who you are, that you've got them. And that the things that they see around them are just material things. But that your spirit would speak to them, to their spirit. That they would be lifted up and encouraged. That they would be able to minister in the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. So protect, guide, and turn this into a moment of praise and worship to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about this fun little device that I have up here. This is a transistor radio. I know some of you may not recognize it. Anybody have one of these when you were when you were growing up? This is an AM/FM radio. Believe it or not, this AM/FM radio sits on. Um, the filing cabinet in Pastor Steve's office and plays classical music all week long. And uh, sometimes it clashes with the music that I've got in my office. Sometimes I turn my music off and just listen to his classical music, but it plays 24 seven classical music. If you walk into his office, you'll, you'll hear this radio playing and uh, it's kind of nice. And uh, it, has to, it has to pick up a radio signal from a nearby station. And for those of you who haven't seen one before, it picks it up like this. <laughs> and uh, so, um, I used to have one of these as as well. It wasn't quite this fancy. This one can plug into the wall or use batteries. And uh, so, it's pretty fancy. But I kind of wanted to point this out today because of where we're going with the message today and, and kind of the illustration of, of what we're talking about in our victory in Christ. Um, in In 1982… In Madison, Wisconsin, 60,000 Wisconsin fans were seated in the Badger Stadium, and they were watching their team get defeated by Michigan. And I don't know if you know anything about that particular area, but those are two huge rivals. And uh, it was interesting because the worse the beating got, the stranger it got that they were hearing cheering in the stands. And it wasn't so that the fans were trying to rally the team and to lift them up and to to turn things around. In fact, that didn't happen. They were defeated soundly that day. It turns out that the fans were in the stadium with their radios and they were listening to the World Series, which was happening 70 miles away. The Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in the third game. Which went on to, to win something they haven't won in... They hadn't won, I don't know, since. I don't keep up with it that well. But what was going on in the stands was that in the middle of them being present and watching defeat, they were listening to winning. See where we're going? Do we, are, we, are we listening to the right thing? How many of you can say that in some ways this week you have been feeling like you were sitting in defeat, looking at defeat before your very eyes, wondering how God was going to get you out of that? Let me tell you something. The enemy wants to seek and destroy, and we're already bought by the blood of Christ if we've given our heart to Him. And He wants us to think, though, that we're defeated, And so he will use the things around us, the people around us, anything he can to make us focused in sideways energy at that particular thing so that we see defeat in front of us. People of God, believers of Jesus Christ, we do not walk in defeat. We walk in victory. We walk with a king who is victorious over anything and everything that can be thrown our way. And I know what you're hoping will happen is that when you're leaning into Christ, that he will fix that thing that's going wrong in our lives. That's not guaranteed. That's not promised. But what is promised is that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And we're going to see something unique, I believe, coming out of the book of Mark today as we talk about who Jesus was and who he is. Let's jump there to Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Now, let's go to read down through it, and we're going to go back and see what was Mark doing when he was pulling this text together for us. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now remember, last week we saw that He was baptized, he he submitted himself to the baptism of John the Baptist, and he came up out of the water, and immediately when he came up out of the water, the Spirit came down on him as a dove, and you heard the voice of God say, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, jumping right into, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Anybody identify with being in the wilderness? That's kind of like church talk from time to time. You say, uh, how's things going? Uh, I'm kind of in a wilderness right now. You know what's going on. You're, you're in that place where it feels like the enemy's trying to engulf you with the problems that you're having in your life. You're, you're in a wilderness in your life because you just are not in the comfort place that you would like to be. Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. It is my prayer that today that you will see clearly the victory that Jesus has in our lives. Mark is still using a very quick approach to tell the story of Jesus, but it isn't haphazard. More ministry, by the way, had been happening in Jesus' life during this time. You can read the other four Gospels and see that other ministry was happening uh, around those times. But Mark leaned into these three accounts and brought them close together. You see that he tells about the temptation of Jesus, he tells about Jesus' preaching, and then he tells about the calling of the first four disciples. Now, you need to remember, Mark is taking what he learned from Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, and he is succinctly pulling that into a storyline for the Roman readers. He knew his material well, and he knew the listeners well, and so he's writing to that. So keep that in mind as you're trying to figure out what Mark's doing here. So, he kind of goes down through and he leaves some things out about the the temptation. He doesn't talk about what the temptation was. If you want to know what the temptation is, go to Matthew and read it there. You'll see a more detailed account of the actual temptations. But that's not Mark's point here of what he is showing. He is showing something else of why we need to look into this. And then you see that he talks about the preaching of Jesus. And then you see in Mark uh, 16, he's calling his first four disciples. And the question comes, why does Mark pull these three things together? What does it mean? And, and why these little, short little vignettes of, of, of the life of Jesus? What, what is he trying to demonstrate as he's pulling these together? Well, remember... Mark has just established at the beginning of this letter that the king has just hit the scenes. He talks about. The forerunner, who was John the Baptist, that came and told people, prepare the way because the king is coming, like a king in those days would have been done. He, so he talks about the forerunner. He introduces the king and shows and tells about his coronation, which was the baptism, the coronation of the king when he walked down into the water, and when he came out, and then God put all authority on him. And now Mark is demonstrating, okay, so he has this, he has this authority, What's he going to do with it? And that's where Mark is going here. He's showing that, these three things. This authority that was just given to Jesus, he has authority over Satan and his realm. He has authority over sin and its dominion. And he has authority over the sinner as well. We're going to pull those together and see what we're learning about Being victorious in Jesus. It's important for us to know that if the new king is going to take his throne, if the new king is going to reign, if he's going to overthrow Satan, the usurper of authority, and the sin and sinners, he needs to demonstrate that authority. And that's what Mark is doing here with these three quick little vignettes about uh, Jesus's life. Mark is establishing his authority. I know I've already said it, but let me put it in different words so we grab it before we move any further. Because I want to make sure that in your life, you're actually listening to the truth. That you have the station dialed in and the volume turned up. So, when defeat looks like it's in front of you, you're listening to a total different narrative for your life. First. In his temptation, Jesus is showing he has authority over Satan, and it becomes clear. Secondly, in his preaching, he's teaching that he has authority over sin, and that becomes clear. And then thirdly, he gives an invitation with authority over the souls of people to show that he has authority there as well, and it becomes clear. He invited four men and lays a command on them, which they immediately and instantly obey. At a high cost and sacrifice for them, I might add, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So this is what is established in the three little paragraphs that we see in what we've just read. This is to demonstrate for us also a model of how we're to approach life. So here's three things that we will get out of today. In Christ, we have victory over Satan when tempted. In Christ, we have victory over Satan with a clear message. And in Christ, we have victory over Satan and over temptation through teamwork. And this is what we're going to see out of the text that we have here today. First of all, victory over Satan when when tempted. God has chosen not to reveal all the aspects of evil, by the way. And I'm just going to kind of do a little side note here. There's there's some reasons, I think, that God doesn't reveal all of the aspects of the evil world. And we should not lean into the evil world. We should not lean into that. And we're coming into a month where uh, the, the television shows are going to change. They're going to switch. Moms and dads, you have to be very mindful for what's coming on every channel now and what's on cable because of the month and what is being celebrated. I'm not saying that we should run and hide in a hole somewhere. I'm just saying be mindful because our human nature is drawn and allured by the sight of evil things. And we need to kind of learn to keep that at bay. We need to kind of learn to push that back a little bit because God didn't tell us and show us everything. We, got, we have to curb our curiosity about evil. Um, There is a personal force of temptation and evil, but there is still only one God and one Savior, and we are responsible for our choices of what we're listening to. There is a spiritual battle, by the way, and we're not going to try to discount that. Victory can only come if we remain in God, and that's kind of where we're going with that. So, we expect a servant, basically, to be under authority, right? Jesus is presenting himself to be under, uh, or, or as a servant, and we would expect a servant to be under authority, but instead, Jesus, as the servant, comes out and asserts his authority. His orders uh, from, that he gives are obeyed. In all three instances, his orders are obeyed. So let's, let's look at this. Mark 1, verse 12. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness is a compelling, it's, it's, a, it's an intensity. Um, it's not like that Jesus was uh, reluctant or unwilling or afraid, it was a very strong compelling for him to go. It was was a moving of the Spirit. Jesus immediately had the Spirit on him, and the Spirit led him to go into the wilderness. Uh, Did Jesus know what every step was going to bring him? That's been a debate as far as long as uh, God's Word has been printed. You know, did did Jesus know the outcome of everything he was going to do? We could talk about that another time. But we see here that the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and it was by God's design uh, on purpose. Uh, it's Mark's way of showing the intensity of the experience. That's when he's saying drove. There are a few different translations. Some use the word "impelled." I think the, the New International Version uses sent. But it's still using that word that is the, the force of it, the, the push. That it wasn't just he kind of haphazardly came out of the water and went, I eh, think I'll go that way. It wasn't that at all. He came up out of the water. Um, there was no time for him to bask in the glory of authority has been given him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There's no, uh, well, you know, the spirit settled on me. There's none of that. What we would tend to do as people, if he came up out of the water and he got busy, and when he came up out of the water, the spirit led him into the wilderness. And then we see in verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. The 40 days in the wilderness reminds us of of, of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And because of the Greek translation of the name Jesus into Joshua, we can very easily see that parallel of what's happening there. Because Jesus is coming to be the fulfillment of what we failed at to begin with. And so, the number 40 in the Bible, by the way, is the number that leans toward testing, trial, probation, Anytime you see the number 40, you know something like that is, is going on. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we can say, oh, okay, let's see, I've been going through this problem for about 30 days. I've got 10 days left. I, I, I can't say that to you. I just know that the number 40 leans to, to that. Maybe God would work that way in your life as well. I, I don't know. But so what are the spiritual implications for you and me today? We're seeing kind of the backstory, the exegetical kind of look at what's happening there, but what's the spiritual implications for you and me today? How does this apply to when we walk out to our car tomorrow morning and get in our car to go into our week? How does this help us? Well, let's first look at the picture of the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It says this, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Now, remember what we just read, what we're talking about. We'll get there. Walk with me here. Trying to help you dial in to where you're listening to the right channel on the radio. Genesis 128. Listen, this is what it says. I don't know if you remember this. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Starting to see any parallel there? Well, if you're not, you will in a minute. We're going to get there. The first Adam was tested in a beautiful garden. But Jesus was tempted in a dangerous wilderness and won the victory. The first Adam lost in a beautiful place, and the second Adam won victory in a horrible place. That's the Jesus we follow, by the way. Adam lost his dominion over creation because of his sin, but in Christ that dominion has been restored for all who trust him. See the connection? See what we're walking into this week? Jesus was with the wild beast, and they did not harm him. You know, it's interesting that um, back in that day, if you would have walked into the wilderness, you would have had to have some form of, of ability to fight off the animals that would have tried to use you as a source of food, right? It doesn't say that when Jesus went into the wilderness, this is is something that I think we might miss. It's a small little nuance. It doesn't say that Jesus had such authority that when he walked into the wilderness, all of the animals uh, cowered and ran away and hid in caves because the Son of Man was there. They, they, They actually say that he was with the wild beast. He was sitting with them. He brought that peace into a place to where he was not worried about it. He was sitting with him. That shows us the future of when Jesus returns that the sin of the world will no longer be impacting. It means that we'll be able to go up and pet that lion without worrying about it growling and and thinking that we look like a toy. It means that Jesus was demonstrating that in when he was there. Let's look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is an amazing text that goes along with this and points to this. Listen to what the psalmist was saying. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. "'Out of the mouths of babies and infants "'you have established strength because of your foes "'to steal the enemy and the avenger. "'When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, "'the moon and the stars which you have set in place, "'what is man that you are mindful of him "'and the son of man that you care for him? "'Yet you have made him a little lower "'than the heavenly beings "'and crowned him with glory and honor.' You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So now we listen to this particular text that Mark pulls out, and he is speaking of the creator of the universe. We know him as Jesus, who was just baptized and all authority was given to him. And he says this, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. He is a servant with authority. And the temptations that were thrown at him did not lure him to step out of that authority, but he demonstrated the power to defeat it. We are going to be tempted this week with things that step outside of honoring God in our lives. We are going to be tempted in ways that seem kind of like a little sneaky thing coming under, and we think it won't be so bad. And then there are some that are so big and so tempting, it's already been defeated We are not shackled to sin and have to listen to sin anymore. When we're tempted, we just look at it and we go like this. The victory's already won. So stop tempting me and move on. Because I follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what Mark's pointing out. He has power and authority over Satan himself. So let's move on. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Notice the the short little nuance change there. There. That John the Baptist was saying that, that the, the, nearest, the the end is here, time is coming, it's time to repent. Jesus actually says, the time is fulfilled. He's talking about, I'm here. I'm on the scene. There's nothing else to announce is coming. Jesus Christ is saying, I am here. He is preaching. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Some uh, people that I read about this was kind of the commentators I was looking into seemed to indicate that it was wise for Jesus to pick up and move because John the Baptist um, had had been arrested and and things were getting ugly and people were coming against uh, who was preaching. But when you look at the original language, there are some of those thought processes I tend to have to disagree with. Jesus, let me, let me explain myself here, and then we'll see it in, in text. Jesus willingly gets baptized by John the Baptist, comes up out of the water. The Spirit lands on him. He, by the Spirit, goes into the wilderness and faces temptation for 40 days and is victorious over that. And then he comes in and starts preaching. It doesn't... Listen, when Mark was writing this text... He was most likely writing it in Rome, right? So why would he use the word came? Why didn't he say Jesus went? Jesus moved locations. Jesus decided to go over there. He said, Jesus came to Galilee. It's on the hills of. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, if you look at the map and you see where John the Baptist was preaching, you see that, okay, John the Baptist has been arrested. I'm going to go take over where he left off. Jesus was not afraid of being arrested. There were many times you see through the, through, uh, the Gospels that where Jesus was, they were about to try to accost him and he suddenly just disappeared, which would be a cool power, by the way. It, you know, you, we all have that power a little bit. There's somebody in our lives that we don't really enjoy being around. We see them coming and suddenly we disappear. So, so don't say you don't, you don't have that power. Um, there's been some of you I've seen down the hallway and, and I look around and you're gone. I'm thinking, did I do something to them? They disappeared. That's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing power we can sometimes have. But, but Jesus was not afraid of stepping into the fire. Let me tell you something. The fire that you feel yourself going through in this life, Jesus is not afraid to step into it. He's not afraid to be there with you in it. So call on him. And then he says, the time is fulfilled because he is here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Interesting way of saying it. The kingdom of God is at hand means he was standing right there in your presence. Repent and believe in the gospel. It says there that he was preaching the gospel of God, which is kind of a a unique way of putting it, because we've always said the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, Mark's saying the gospel of God. And the gospel of God is is because it comes from God, and it brings us to God. So it's his gospel. It, It belongs in him. It's the gospel of the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom because faith in our Savior brings us into his kingdom. Um, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is at the heart of it. And without his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we wouldn't have that ability to come into the presence of God, but it is the gospel of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15:1 through 8. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received... In which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. I'm gonna stop there and say that it was a very clear message. Jesus didn't get up and and you know wax eloquently with his words of theological things that people could not understand. He said, The kingdom of God is here, the time is fulfilled. Repent. Which tells me that he, he says we're victorious over Satan when we're in him. And he says the message is clear. Sometimes I think we might try to exercise too much uh, philosophical jargon toward the problems that we have in our lives. When all we got to do is look at that problem and say, the name of Jesus... <laughs> Uh, seriously, I know that sounds elementary and it sounds like, you know, you're kind of simplifying that, but can we not just speak the gospel over our problem and say, yeah, you, know, you are killing me. You are wearing me out. I'm exhausted at what's going on and everything. But can I remind you, That I am bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am one with God because I am victorious in him. And regardless of what you throw at me, and regardless of how beat up I feel, I, at the end of the day, am still victorious. That's the message. We've got to stop trying to say... I'm not against studying the Bible, but some people get so caught up into the, I'm going through this problem, I gotta, I gotta figure out, there's gotta be a word in the Bible somewhere that that says, this is, oh, oh, no, just the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what brings authority, that's what brings the power. Sometimes we just have to claim over that issue, I'm a child of the king, and I don't know how to navigate through this right now, but... I'm a child of the king, and you can throw ugliness at me, and you can punch me in the face, old problem, but I'm a child of the king. See how easy that message is if we keep repeating that and repeating that? And repeating that, it goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse three, it says, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance "'what I also received, that Christ died for our sins "'in accordance with the Scriptures, "'that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day "'in accordance with the Scriptures, "'and that he appeared to Cephas.'" then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is saying the message is simple. Jesus is real. Jesus lived Jesus died on the cross Jesus was buried and he defeated death forever and rose again on the third day and lives now and is seated at the right hand of the father (laughs) Come on problems You got to know that about me Uh, Right at that moment when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope I look up and I see another knot in that rope and it's the gospel and I pull myself up out of that pit because I'm listening to the right station. I'm looking at the different account of what's going on. He had, he had authority with a clear message, and, and it wowed people. So I'm going to do a real quick hit. You don't have to follow me on this. I'm just going to read these verses in the book of Mark of how he wowed people with his authority that he had. Mark 1.27 and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, "What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him Mark 2:12 and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw anything like this Mark 520 and he went away and began to proclaim in, in the uh, got how to pronounce this word, Decapolis? Decapolis? Thank you. Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Mark 5, 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, and she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Mark 6, 2, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Mark six fifty one, 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Mark seven thirty seven, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark 10, 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Mark eleven eighteen, 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He was the fulfillment of the law. He was the Answer to all of problems that we could possibly have or face in life, He is the victory. He is the victory. Okay, all right, I just kind of want to make sure that we were listening to the right station there. I know I went through a lot, of, a lot of things there. So, if we're in Christ, we have victory over Satan when tempted, we have victory over Satan with a very clear message. And we have victory through, a, through teamwork. This is what he's showing. Jesus could have easily walked through life all by himself, but he chose others to team up with him to give them the same authority that he was demonstrating. Look in Mark who were in their boat mending the nets and immediately called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him so now we've seen Jesus has had authority over Satan he has had authority over uh, sin with the message that he has come to fulfill. And now he's demonstrating he has authority over the sinner as well. And that's the kind of authority that you and I need to yield to. There are a lot of things in this world saying they have authority over you and me, but the only authority that should be in my life is Jesus Christ. So everything that I say yes to needs to first filter through that authority. It's okay to say to someone, give me some time to reconcile what you're asking me to do because I need to think about it a little bit. You don't have to say, I need to go pray about it because that has become a church term of never, um, right? (laughs) Let's just be honest with one another, but it's okay to filter It's okay to filter things through the authority that is before us so that we can come back and have a peace in our heart that we are saying to Jesus, Jesus, this has been presented. How shall I proceed? It's okay to do that in our lives. Because Jesus preached with authority, he was able to call men from their regular occupations and make them his disciples. And you see here that Who else really could interrupt a fisherman who apparently the business was going good? Zebedee had hired hands that were also helping him, which means they probably had several boats. His fisherman business seemed to be doing really good. And if you read uh, the book of John, you can see that Jesus already had interactions with the ones he called, he had already called them to be uh, a believer in him, and this calling was to become his disciple. This was when he stepped up and said, become my disciple. He said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And this command was probably highly unusual, but they would have understood it as speaking their language. By the way, I learned this week that uh, fishers of men was something that the philosophical people of that day used as a phrase. I'm going to be a fisher of men. In other words, I'm going to captivate their minds. I'm going to captivate their lives with my intelligence. That's, that's kind of a phrase they used. But Jesus, through the spiritual element, and he said, I'm going to captivate their souls with salvation. And that's what he was doing. I think what Jesus is demonstrating here that we need to see is that we are not supposed to tackle our life situations alone. You say, well, if you knew what I was actually going through, it's a little bit embarrassing to tell that other person that I'm going through that because of the judgment they will put toward me. Let me just say two things. There's two problems there. The number one problem is, is you may not have found the one that's mature enough to tell. If, if you feel like they're going to judge you, they have not demonstrated grace in their own life that where you can go up and say, I'm broken and I need help, right? And there's people in this world, right? How many of you have had, you've said, you've told a story to someone and, and the retort they give to you is belittling and disparaging. You kind of go, I should have never told you that. There are those people out there. Just be aware of that. But are you the type of individual that someone can come to and share their brokenness with where you will not judge them? Because let me tell you something, judging other people at the very foundation is pride as if I have arrived. What we're really saying is I'm not going to air my dirty laundry, but I would have never experienced that in my life because I kind of overcame that a long time ago. That's just prideful. And Jesus is demonstrating there that if we're going to tackle this world and the problems that we have in it, we should do it as a team. We should have each other's backs. I find it very interesting that the American church, particularly, is not necessarily being fought against from the outside cultural world the american church has struggles within because of pride because of self-righteousness because of forgetting the fact that jesus demonstrated we're all in this together we are a team and that when i fall and stumble and my knee is bloody kind of just speaking in parallels here, and I come to you, you don't look at my bloody knee and go, well, how'd that happen, you idiot? You actually look and say, oh gosh, I kind of understand how that must hurt. Let me help you work on that. Let me bring a salve. God's word let me remind you of the message that we should listen to let me pray with you let me walk with you through that let me experience watching the healing in your life as the victorious king of kings and the victorious lord of lords is celebrated in the middle of this seemingly defeat brothers and sisters in christ Are we individually mature enough to handle other people's problems without passing judgment? It's called discipleship. And if there's something somebody says to me that I thought, I've never thought in a million years I'd ever hear anybody say they were mixed up in the middle of that, then I need to step back and go, but I know who's victorious. We have to receive one another with love. We have to encourage one another and edify one another and build one another up and, and be in each other's corner and, and not act like I've got it all together and therefore the rest of you are kind of out there. No, 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 no. We're in this together. We, I'm going down to show you there's no hierarchy here. We're all on the same level, doing life together and claiming the victory in Christ. Is it sometimes that I, as the pastor of the church, can call on you and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, or I have this prayer that seems to be hitting the ceiling and not going any far beyond. Can you join me in that prayer? A- am I someone that you feel you can comfortably come to and say, hey, this this is what's going on in my life, and, and I'm just going to kind of air that out there. Can you can you pray with me? We're doing life together, and it's that fellowship. It's that quantonia that the world looks on from the outside and goes, you know, I know that they're all people, and I know that they, they're all messed up, and I know that they all have sin and and I know that none of them in that particular body of believers is perfect. But wow, do you see how they love on each other? You know why we're able to do that? Because Jesus Christ came and bore the sins of you and me. To the point of death, even death on a cross, being humiliated before the world so that his perfect account could be entrusted to my account and I can live victoriously. That's the message Mark is demonstrating when he says the king's on the scene. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good, you're great, you're mighty, and you're victorious. Help us to know that Satan is not your equal, Satan has to step under your authority. Help us to remember that the message of following you is clear. Help us to put off those obstacles that we have built up in our brains and our minds that pushes back on that message. Help us to receive it as you would have us to receive it. And help us to remember that we are not designed to face this life alone, but that we're a team, coming along beside one another, building one another up, encouraging one another, loving on each other, and growing in you with each other. So thank you for meeting us right where we are, loving us so much that you refuse to leave us there. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.